I, I was not functioning, you know, like I, I wasn't suicidal per se, but I, but I, you know, I was basically unable to work. You know, I was, I was, I was um, reduced to a human being that was just sort of existing. Dr. Kelly Fiore had a miscarriage in 2012. Eating, not very much. Sleeping, showering, because I told myself I had to do it, but getting no joy out of anything and, and just not living a life and to be in that state. I didn't realize what it was to be in that state before this happened. And you knew the words, like the, the medical terminology we have to come up with for all of those things. Oh, sure. I know the diagnostic criteria. I could correctly identify a major depressive episode if I interviewed someone. And, and I've been sad in the past. You know, I've even been very sad when bad things happen, when, you know, my grandmother passed away or I've gone through a breakup. I've been extremely sad. I mean, I know what sadness is. I know what loss and pain are. But I, I didn't truly, I don't think I truly knew what depression was. Psychiatrists learn from books, and they also learn from tens of thousands of hours of conversations with patients. And sometimes they learn from their own personal experience. I'm Dr. Owen Muir, and this is Self-Disclosure a show where health professionals talk openly and often for the first time about their own mental health. Dr. Kelly Fiore is a psychiatrist. She works at a hospital in New York. She serves a clinic for the severely and persistently mentally ill. She and her husband had been trying to get pregnant for two years by the time it finally happened. I was overjoyed. I mean, I really was. Um, you know, it was at the point where we were going to maybe try to get some fertility treatment, you know, which I really didn't want to do. So, you know, it happened. It happened on its own. And it was like, you know, it happened because it was supposed to happen. It was really kind of a magical thing. And, you know, I, it, it was... You know, it was like I would get nauseous and sick and be so happy to be nauseous and so happy to be only wanting certain foods. And it was a level of happiness I'd never experienced before. I mean, I, I felt all this anticipation and excitement and perhaps those two years of waiting while a lot of other people I knew were getting pregnant and having babies, even in the time I was trying, you know. It was all worth it, and it didn't matter because, because now, you know, it was time to start my family. It is July of 2012. It's the start of the medical new year. Kelly just accepted a position at a new hospital. New job, new boss, new home. She's three months into her pregnancy. So it was the second day of work. So the first day was basically sitting in meetings and kind of learning how to use the computer and meeting a lot of very nice and helpful people and, you know, went really smoothly. I didn't really do much. I just kind of sat and listened and went to a meeting and <laughs> everyone was smiling and introducing themselves to me. So the second day, um, I figured I would, I had to meet my new obstetrician um, because I had just moved to Long Island and I had to meet my new obstetrician who would be delivering my baby. So I actually made a very early appointment so I can get in, get the appointment in before work. And so I went and, you know, in the first couple appointments, they give you ultrasound pictures and they show you the heartbeat and you hear the heartbeat. And those first couple of visits where you, where you see the images of the baby and you hear the heartbeat are just 
it's like nothing else in the world. It's phenomenal. You see this, this life that wasn't there before and now is there, <laughs> you know, it's something out of nothing. And so I had seen that already um, with my other obstetrician. I had seen these images and heard this heartbeat and uh, was really looking forward to kind of, you know, seeing my little guy again. <laughs> and, and I get in there and she's, you know, doing the ultrasound and saying, there's nothing here. You know, she said, I'm sorry, but I don't, I don't see an intrauterine pregnancy. Like, I don't, I don't hear a heartbeat. I, you know, there's, unfortunately, there's nothing here. Um, Which it turns out is extremely common. Right. And um, so I essentially had a, a miscarriage at 13 weeks. That's, that's what you would call it. And it was something that, for whatever reason, even though I am a doctor, I had abs- I was not prepared for in any way. It was something that just really threw me threw me off guard. You know, even though I know statistically that it happens to women in the first trimester, and um, you know, it it happens a lot. I don't think people talk about it enough, but it does happen a lot. And for some reason, I just thought because it took me so long to get pregnant, once I get pregnant, it's gonna stick and it's gonna work out and. And that wasn't the case, you know. Um, I also felt, because I was so close to being at the point where it's okay to tell people, you know, it was two weeks, three weeks away from that, that I was sort of home free. You know, I had this sort of illusion that I was home free, which which you're really never home free at any point in life. Um, but I had this false sense of security about that. Um, and so, so this, you know, this very kind and gentle obstetrician. I mean, I have to say she, she couldn't have been more professional. She actually gave me a hug. She, you know, used appropriate touch. Like she was touching my arm as she told me the bad news. She was, she was really, um, you know, she was wonderful with me. So I I have, you know, I can't say that I I can't say there was any lack of empathy there. And she actually told me that it happened to her. Um, and so you know, I went in thinking it was going to be a routine appointment and ended up being this devastating piece of news. Um, you know, I called my husband, I cried in the car for a little while. And then I said, I have to go to work. It's my second day of work. You know, what am I going to do? I can't, I can't not show up. I don't have any sort of, they don't know me. They don't know who I am. They don't know that I'm a hard worker and I'm devoted and dedicated to this job. I can't, you don't have any sick or vacation time when you first start a new job. So I had to be there. So I was there. What what happened uh, in the days that followed? So the days that followed were, I would say, like the the two weeks that followed were extremely difficult for me. I mean, maybe the most difficult two weeks of my life. I mean, it was, it, it literally felt like my entire body was, was completely weighed down um, with bags of sand, and I had to walk through walk with these bags of sand attached at every point all over my body and kind of sludge my way through the day. Um, and, and these were days where I had to see patients that that's my job. Um, you know, I'm an outpatient psychiatrist, I'm a clinician and I'm meeting new patients for the first time. And honestly, I don't think I was fully present with them. You know, I feel that that was a big loss. Having gone through that makes me realize how important it is to even have one person listen to you and understand you. I mean, even if they don't do anything for you, even if they don't even give you a medicine or, or I mean, just to, to feel understood because a lot of the reaction I got from people, um, you know, even within 
family and close friends was basically, I mean, not cruel or dismissive, but basically like this happens, you know, you have to move on kind of like, let's, you know, this wasn't a person yet. This was, you know, because to me, this was a baby that I lost to other people. This was, you know, an embryo that's disposable, you know, um, and it's just such a common occurrence. So that, and I think that was sort of the most common reaction I got was, oh yeah, that happened to me or that happened to my, you know, you'll get through it. It's not, it's not a big deal. You'll get pregnant again, you know? And I think that was kind of just to not be understood and to feel like people weren't getting, people weren't understanding like sort of the depths of, of how this was affecting me and, and just kind of brushing it off as like this medical occurrence that happens. What they didn't feel was the sandbags tied to every part of your body. Exactly. And I felt this also like the, just this kind of desperation for, for someone to get it. (laughs) And the more I tried to connect with people about it, I feel like the less people got it, you know? And so then I eventually started doing other things like in a, in ways that my patients in the past have described to me, like, for example, you know, I'm not a religious person, but there's a church across the street from the hospital. So I went to that church and I just, you know, started praying and started, um, you know, I started a journal. I started journaling about it. I, um, I went to a Barnes and Noble and went to the self-help section and got a workbook on mindfulness and depression and said I could, you know, I literally just didn't know where to turn. Like I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to help myself. And remembering at this point, you are an attending psychiatrist. You've gone through four years of medical school, four years of college, four years of psychiatric residency, several years of practice already. And you're left with a self-help book. Right. And I think that was in large part because I felt I'm a psychiatrist. Like, what is another psychiatrist going to tell me that I don't already know? Reflecting on it now, that was, I think that was kind of distorted thinking (laughs) because eventually I did get some help and a psychiatrist did really help me. But, But at the time, it was, I felt so alone with this that I felt, what is another person in the field going to tell me? I'm in the field. You know, what, what is a therapist going to tell me? I'm trained in psychotherapy. You know, how is that going to make this any better? And, and I mean, honestly, I think that the real thing that made it better was just time. Was there a moment you needed to, you, you, where you recognized something needed to change and you needed to be the agent of that change in, in getting better? So what I do remember is I had to actually go to this new boss who I really respected and I really wanted her to like me. And I had to go to her and basically say, um, I, have, I need to take, you know, three days off. I need to get surgery for my miscarriage. And she asked me if I was okay, and I said, yes. I said, I'm okay. Thank you for asking. And then I went back to my office, um, and I'm in my office, and I, I just literally broke down and was, I don't know if it was panic or what it was, but I, I like, I, I was just sobbing and crying, and I couldn't, like, I couldn't stop. I couldn't get it together, and I was at work, you know? I was not in a place where I could 
cry. I had a patient in the waiting room. I, you know, I, I couldn't just keep crying, you know? Um, and I guess it, it was at that moment where I just realized like I need help as much as I don't want to, obviously I just denied to my boss that I needed help, which I think a lot of people in that situation would have done. Um, but you know, we are psychiatrists, so I thought that's silly. So, you know, eventually, you know, like with everything, everything's temporary, everything in life, including life itself. So eventually I did stop crying <laughs> and I was able to see the patient and go to my boss and say, listen, I really do need help. Um, it's gotten to a point where this is affecting me at work and I need to see someone to get some help and just to figure it out. And I didn't even know what that meant, really. But eventually you, you did choose to, to see someone. Mm hmm um, what was that like walking into the office of someone else? I mean, that, that was a difficult walk because, you know, it, it was almost like being on the other side of a mirror, like sitting in the waiting room. And, 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 and you know, when, my, when the psychiatrist was five minutes late, realizing, oh, my gosh, I'm waiting for five minutes. Maybe the psychiatrist doesn't want to talk to me. And having these kind of reactions to to every little thing the psychiatrist said and just being, it was a total role reversal. And I guess it made me realize how important a psychiatrist can be for someone and how, you know, I would hang on her words. I mean, I really would for the first couple months there, like, you know, luckily the psychiatrist that I, that I was referred to was extremely validating and, and kind and caring and, and patient <laughs> But, but I would, I would really, those visits were really important to me. And I would think about them. I would wonder what I was going to say in them. And I would, you know, it was almost like I, if I had them one coming up, I would feel a little bit better because I'd feel like there was some relief on the way. Like it became for that brief period of time, it became such a part of my life that I never realized the impact you can have on someone. I mean, usually I see people once a month and you just think, you know, I see them for half an hour once a month, what impact could I possibly be having, you know? Mm -hmm. But but I think it's a lot more powerful than I had imagined it to be. So you, you mentioned a couple things. You mentioned um, thinking about what you were going to say beforehand. Mm -hmm. What kind of things would you think? Well, just kind of, I guess it was like I wanted to make sure that I was capturing all the events accurately of the of the past couple weeks and that I was giving her a good assessment of how I was feeling so she can make the right decisions on my behalf. And, and also just, you know, yeah, making, making sure I didn't leave anything out. I mean, it sounds a little obsessive, but I think when you have these encounters that you know are going to be really empathic and you're not getting that anywhere else, or and I guess not enough of it in other places, those encounters become really important. <laughs> You're worried you were going to do it wrong. Right. And I kind of wanted to maximize the the helpfulness I was getting from it or something. <laughs> you had to do it right. <laughs> right. Right. It was feeling rather than knowing, um, which I think in medical school, you know, you're trained to know things, but you're not trained to feel things. I don't know that you can ever really, you know, truly, fully embrace the patient's experience unless you've gone through it and you can't possibly go through everyone's experience so you have to use those that you have to be as empathic as you can um do you have any more time or do you have to go um i should probably i mean if you gotta go you gotta go yeah gotta i should go. probably get going i okay. really because i want to put my son to bed well that's an important thing and it's almost seven thirty. 
Dr. Kelly Fiore. She was pregnant with her second child when we spoke. During that pregnancy, Kelly was told she'd had another miscarriage, and she spent a week eating wall-to-wall sushi before she was told that diagnosis was wrong. Now Kelly teaches residents how to better understand their patients at one of the largest psychiatric training programs in the country.